Welcome to Enbus Talks, a podcast focusing on business in Singapore and Asia, where we take the lead on innovation, new technologies, and new solutions. Because Norway means business. With your host, Anders Hegre, Executive Director at the Norwegian Business Association in Singapore. The commercial marine shipping industry accounts for more than 3% of global CO2 emissions. Hence, to save the planet, the shipping industry is important. The International Maritime Organization, IMO, aims to reduce carbon emissions from the maritime industry by 40% by 2030 from 2008 levels and cut at least 50% of the shipping industry's total greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. The industry explores several different methods to reach the goals, among them hydrogen, green ammonia, electrification and more. In this episode of Endless Talks, we will dive into a phenomenon called autonomous shipping. A ship owner was cited last year. So many things we need to focus on are far more important than autonomous ships. Autonomous ships won't save the planet. With us to discuss what role autonomous shipping will play in the maritime industry, we have Pia Meiling. Vice President of Mastley at Kongsberg and Wilhelmsen Joint Venture with an ambition to make autonomy a reality. Welcome, Pia. Thank you, Anish. And Pia, you are a profile leader within the maritime sector in Norway. Please give us a brief introduction to yourself, your background and how you ended up in Mastley and being one of the world's most prolific ambassadors for autonomous shipping. Yeah, that is by chance, I can tell you that. I I don't have a technology background or an engineering background. I have a business degree. Uh, but I worked my whole career in the maritime industry with uh, within the ship owner Klavnes, for example, doing a chartering of dry bulk uh, vessels. By the way, they moved most of that chartering to Singapore now. Uh, I worked with several uh, equipment suppliers uh, and I started in 2016 in Wilhelmsen Group. But then I was a sales director for um, ship service uh, marine products in Nordics in UK. And I had a great job. You know, I had uh, 60 employees and uh, a good management position. Uh, but then this company uh, was started masterly in 2018. Uh, and they were looking for only three people. Uh, managing director, uh, VP sales uh, and uh, VP business development. And I couldn't sleep at night. I was just so excited about this idea of uh, starting in a, in a small startup within two large corporations. So, um, yeah, I just realized I needed to follow my heart and go for that. And I haven't regretted it because it's, uh, I've learned a lot about technology and I've been able to couple that with my business understanding and my operational experience and um, actually create something totally new in terms of also business models and, and ways of working. So that's how I got into uh, into autonomy. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, thank you. I think we will uh, get into these things uh, more through our conversation. And um, yeah, so I just want to, to know very basically, 
Actually, what is autonomous shipping? Can you explain that to us in a, in a few sentences? Yeah, it's a, a lot of definitions around with different parties, you know, but most people tend to think that autonomous means unmanned, which it does not. So there are various degrees of, of how automation uh, and technology is supporting humans. So you have several levels of autonomy, which is some first levels are just decision support for, for the crew uh, to via remote control, one-to-one, uh, -one, uh, to what is called autonomous, but with supervision from shore, to fully autonomous, which means you're on, you're on your own. There's no humans in the loop. And we don't see that happening for commercial shipping um, as long as we can see ahead. So we are looking at some uh, way of a human-in-the-loop process. But of course, using technology to improve processes and uh, reduce risk and, um, and emissions. So uh, that's, yeah, trying to work smarter. Uh, <laughs> that is the essence. Yeah, thanks. Uh, when I read and hear about autonomous shipping, I, it's primarily about Yara, Birkland and Asko that sort of has reached me. Uh, and I understand that uh, these two projects may have been uh, partly a little delayed uh, due to COVID, but um, still there are two concrete examples of autonomous vessels. Uh, can you give us a rundown on the ideas by, behind these two projects? Sure. So this is um, a bit special because both Yara and Asko, they are cargo owners. Uh, Yara, of course, has been in shipping a little bit. They're charter vessels. Uh, they, I think maybe they own some vessels at a point, but they're not big in maritime, of course. And Asko being um, the Norway's largest grocery distributor, they have never touched a vessel. You know, they only work with trucks. So they are shipping goods from one side of the fjord in uh, the Oslo fjord to the other side with trucks today. And those trucks are driving quite a long distance uh, and emitting a lot of CO2 and they're stuck in traffic. So Asko was looking for a zero emission uh, transport basically from uh, between their warehouses and distribution centers. And they started looking into uh, to vessels uh, as an alternative to trucks. And this is quite interesting that, you know, those first movers are now cargo owners, not ship owners, but they're becoming ship owners. And they're even becoming ship owners of highly advanced <laughs> vessels that uh, nobody has built before. So it's like really complex um, new buildings, both of them, actually. So that's that's also part of the what you said about the delay for especially for Yara. Uh, the, the Asko vessels aren't delayed yet. But they're being built in India, and you know uh, there's the third wave of COVID, which is uh, we don't know exactly how that will affect uh, the new building schedule for those vessels. But for Yara Birkeland, which was the like world's first autonomous, uh, unmanned autonomous and zero emission container ship, um, the investments in the port side on the K with the crane, autonomous crane, straddle carriers that are supposed to be autonomous, and all this. The whole project in terms of loading, unloading, and um, and building that part of the port was actually what was more complex than they thought. The vessel itself was not uh, much delayed. It's more the whole project of, of uh, seamless logistics, which tends to be, um, which, which is a finding that we see that uh, people are so focused on the autonomy on board the vessel in terms of the navigation and uh, and tend to not think about the whole process that you are automating because it's basically getting goods from A to B, right? Uh, 
So um, that's those two projects are quite well known because uh, it's a totally new way of transporting goods, and they're getting well, and well, it's zero emission. If this uh, if these projects are, are fulfilled, um, um, what kind of impact do you think? Uh, can you describe what kind of impact that they will actually have? Yeah, for ASCO, for example, they will replace 150 trucks per day on the, this uh, distance, uh, which is today th through the through a tunnel outside Oslo. But sometimes that tunnel is closed, and then they actually need to go through the capital of Norway, and uh, on and they are of course creating. Uh, a lot of um, emissions and uh, dust and um, and congestion on the road network. So they will reduce CO2 emissions by 5,000 tons per year and, uh, you know, remove 150 trucks from that distance. These trucks will be on board the vessels. So they're, they're going to be roll-on, roll-off uh, vessels. So, and simply then there will be no driver on board, just the trailer part of the truck. So then the drivers of the trucks can can you know meet up on the other side well rested and uh, not break their resting hours and so on and pick up the cargo to the final destination. So the vehicles be, uh, are. Yeah, the vehicles uh, are in. They are on board with yeah without the steering house, so just the uh, the trailer. And, okay, uh, but they then, are they are still uh, being uh, driven by someone. They are not. They unmanned. are no, yet. they are not unmanned, but they, they will be zero emission. So okay. Asko is uh, investing in Tesla trucks and oh. other trucks and, and hydrogen-driven trucks and so on. So that's the, that's the key driver for both Yara and Asko was to get a zero-emission transportation system. And then, you know, vessels are in general more energy efficient than, than trucks in terms of how much volume you get on board uh, compared to how much energy you consume. So even putting, replacing trucks with diesel-driven vessels would make sense, right? But if you can do it with emission-free vessels, it's even better. So that's, yeah. the, uh, that's the driver here. Yeah, cool. That makes sense. Um, uh, to a little other uh, dimension of this, uh, you have been mentioning it probably, but um, uh, safety. Um, when I think of autonomous vessels, I imagine sort of a runway boat with potential catastrophic consequences. Uh, however, I've been reading some uh, studies or the abstracts of the studies at least um, and see that they conclude that autonomous shipping increases safety at sea. Uh, can you explain the background for this? Well, of course, human error is uh, one of the leading causes for a lot of incidents and accidents today. People, of course, are not perfect and they... They might fall asleep or they might get some attention deficit or just, you know, misunderstand uh, each other. There's some communication uh, mistakes going on from time to time. Language barriers, things like that. So um, that's that's one side of the of the coin, you might say, that you might remove uh, some of the uh, mistakes that people do. Um, on the other side, these vessels that we are talking about now, which are short sea, uh, very close to shore, but they're, they're new buildings, right? And they are designed with risk management at the forefront from the start. So there's redundancy, there's segregation, there's uh, uh, cyber risk awareness in every component. And that is increasing the safety compared to a conventional vessel where you will not really, that will not be the first and foremost the design criteria, right? Uh, 
well, this is the most important design criteria for vessels that will become uh, unmanned or have reduced manning, that we need to make sure that it is as safe um, as it can be. So uh, that is the, the point that they are designed to be very safe. And I would say that conventional vessels out there today can be hacked quite easily, can be, uh, you can take over the steering uh, of uh, large vessels if you know how to, uh, how to hack the vessel. And you could run that into a port uh, and create a lot of damage as well. And, you know, also these vessels will go at very low speed uh, close to shore with a lot of risk mitigation options along, uh, along the route. Yeah, and my final point around safety is that we tend to think that if there's people on board a vessel, they can fix everything. But they can't. You know, there are breakdowns of, uh, of main engines and machinery on board that the chief engineer can't fix whilst on board. So it's not, it's not always a guarantee that safety uh, is uh, at, at its highest when you have people on board. Maybe if you had planned for having no people on board and you have actually made all that risk assessment and made sure that you have redundant systems and you are monitoring it 24-7 from shore and so on, you could actually avoid some uh, accidents that have happened. Uh, so uh, it's um, it's interesting to discuss safety. It's, it's an issue that a lot of people uh, bring up. And of course, we introduce new risks. I agree to that. And it's not. I'm not saying that it's uh, it's going to be perfect with the autonomous system. It has to learn. Uh, there's there's risks we don't know about because it's new to us. But also, we have a very stepwise approach. Uh, on these projects where we will have a manned phase for a couple of years until we're 100% sure that we are safe on the route intended to, to go. And um, it's not, it's no, no vessels, you know, uh, let, let out on the loose on their own. It is not how it works. Okay, thank you. Have you just, I was, when you're speaking, I, I come to think of something. Um, how is sort of the dialogue with the, sort of the land-based auto, uh, autonomy with cars and, and stuff? Are you in a close dialogue with those environments? And is there any sort of mutual learning there? Yeah, we, we are to a certain extent. So we're part of a cluster here in Norway that's called Sustainable uh, Autonomous Mobility Systems, for example, where, which includes a lot of land-based mobility. Um, of course, the regulations are different. Uh, and the uh, some of the equipment has to be made for maritime uh, roughness, you might say. There's different, of course, than being, uh, being on shore. But there is definitely things to learn, and we probably should cooperate even more because yeah. uh, it's a little bit too much of a silo still between the industries, right? Um, and we tend always tend to think in, in maritime that we are unique, and, and we are, of course, but sometimes we can learn from other industries or sometimes they can learn from us. So um, it's, it's a good point. We should um, probably cooperate even more cross-industry. Okay, uh, I will move on to sort of a more personal, professional uh, note because we uh, we are a podcast focusing on uh, technology and uh, and innovation. And um, so I would like to ask you, um, what does innovation mean to you? And can you give an example of when innovation played a significant role, either in your 
private life uh, or in your professional life uh, or both. And of course, maybe a little aside then from the, the topic at hand, autonomous shipping, which sort of uh, yeah, has innovative uh, written all over it. Yeah, of course, innovation uh, to me is just finding uh, radically better ways of doing stuff. And um, and as you mentioned, mastery is an innovation in itself, of course, because uh, this uh, cooperation between a leading uh, technology provider and a shipping company is, is a bit unique. Um, but I wouldn't say it's merely the technology that is uh, innovation. It might as well be the, the business models that we are kind of disrupting um, the business model and taking away some layers that are there today. For example, there's no broker in the ASCO uh, project. Mostly has uh, helped them negotiate with the yard. There's uh, the cargo owner is the ship owner and it's changing business models, which I think is, you know, business model innovation is equally interesting as uh, as uh, technology. But on a, on a personal note in my daily life, what I the innovation that I love the most is actually made by Nor uh, the Norway's uh, biggest bank, DNB, because they started a payment service, a mobile payment service called VIPS, a few years back, you know, and they had, I don't think they made a lot of money on it. Uh, but it just makes all payments super easy, and uh, and you can log on with the same user in, in, in all sorts of online shops now. You can split the bill after a restaurant uh, visit, and of course my kids uh, love it because I uh, keep giving them micro payments uh, so it's kind of one of those small things that makes life so much easier and every time i use it i'm just you know makes me happy so that's that's <laughs> kind of innovation that i like yeah so now i know who's going to sponsor this episode also so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's interesting because i think innovation normally does not come from the big biggest companies and the market leader and so on. It, it comes from maybe smaller uh, companies or startups or outside the business. So it's actually quite interesting that it is, uh, yeah, coming from a, a big bank. Yeah. Okay, so back to uh, the topic uh, at hand. And uh, we spoke a little about, because I was um, thinking that this conversation uh, an alternative was to bring in someone that was a little more skeptical to uh, autonomy. And then I asked you, and um, and you said that, of course, uh, seafarers organizations is maybe not sort of sold 100% on, uh, on this idea uh, from the get-go. So um, um, perhaps with uh, some good reasons, because... Uh, you think that autonomy would uh, tend to make people redundant uh, in a way? Um, are they right or is this uh, a misunderstanding? Well, you know, especially for the short sea and these projects that I told you about with Asco and Yara, we're competing with trucks and we are taking market share from trucks. So we are adding jobs to the maritime industry. Those jobs were not there. Uh, you know, also with uh, the equipment supplier, with the yard, Anybody who's involved in those projects did not were not involved uh, unless this had happened, right? So you are building a bigger market to start with. You're eating somebody else's cake. Uh, and remember, there's going to be uh, experienced maritime personnel working from shore. There's going to be a captain, navigator, and a chief engineer working from a remote location instead of on board a vessel. So it's not removing the need for that competence. 
that maritime competence and experience is very vital to make this uh, work. But you you could work remotely, and you know we have worked remotely all of us for a year now. Of course, it's very different working from home uh, than a vessel in terms of connectivity, but we've had some really poor internet as well <laughs> on some meetings. And, and uh, of course, technology makes this possible. To have the best and most expensive specialist resources could potentially be centralized in a remote operation center and assist a less experienced crew or, or, or even oversee unmanned uh, short sea vessels. So, and also, I think COVID has really made us realize, of course, how vital sea freight is for the world, but also how tough a job it, it can be to be stuck on board a vessel. There's been some crew on board vessels for a year without any crew change, not being allowed into port and not knowing what will happen, not being able to see their families for a year. It's It can be a very tough job. So, of course, if you can perform that job, uh, working a shift arrangement from shore and you can go home to your family in the evening uh, it could potentially be a better job so of course i know a lot of seafarer organizations are worried about jobs on the other hand for for short sea especially in some in some areas of the world there's actually a big shortage of people so um, and a lot of young people they find this role quite interesting I've had actually a lot of people, uh, captains, approaching me saying that I would love to work. Uh, after I get off the, off the seas, I would like to work from shore in your remote operation center. But this, uh, I think this is very good points. And if I was sort of, um, I, if I, I was the seafarer organization, I would think that these arguments were really interesting. I would see some potential in them. So, what kind of dialogue do we do you have with this organization, and 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 how do you feel that that understanding is coming along? I don't have a lot of dialogue myself with the organizations formally, uh, but of course we meet from time to time and there's always going to be some individuals that are very proactive looking at how these jobs will change and rather, you know, okay, how can we change the uh, the education for our seafarers so that they are equipped for the future, for example, instead of just resisting change, you would rather say, okay, how can we adapt to change? and still make sure that we have enough jobs. But there's you know, various uh, takes on this and, and some uh, people would just be against it. Um, but I think we are all facing a lot of changes in our roles, in our jobs, and we all need to realize that we cannot go into a role and just stay with that competence our whole life. That's not the way the world is anymore. It could have been like that maybe at, at some point in history but it's no longer you know technology and and everything is changing politics global geopolitics everything is changing so rapidly that we need to adapt so i think it's not you and me we don't have safe jobs either um we don't know how our jobs will uh, evolve but we need to try and adapt and uh, improve how we work and use whatever technology is is out there uh, to improve how we work so I think most people will realize this. The focus on autonomy in shipping is quite new. It seems that most literature is dating maximum five years back. 
Uh, it is a period with testing and pilots. However, autonomy would also need to become commercially viable. What are the critical factors for autonomous solutions to become commercially viable, you think? Well, I would just first like to address uh, the statement about how new autonomy is, uh, because for, for example, mapping the seabed or doing search and rescue uh, operations, there's been unmanned surface vessels and remotely operated vehicles, uh, subsea, subsea vehicles uh, in place for a long time. And of course, the, uh, the naval forces are using, have been using autonomy for a long time. So it's not, it's not like it hasn't been into commercial use, but of course it's been in very, uh, small segments, so small in terms of size, and also maybe a little bit on the side of the normal commercial shipping industry. Um, so to make this viable also commercially for our industry, we need volume. That is the the key because, as you mentioned, there's pilots. There's pilots everywhere in um, in many places in the world, but it's like they're building. Everybody's building one. Uh, testing unit and setting up every, everything required for that. And that doesn't make sense. There is a lot of cost, uh, of course, on the land side in terms of having people and equipment in a remote operation center. There's a communication cost and the, and the uh, unit itself, uh, the vessel, uh, also could be more expensive in terms of equipment. So it just never makes sense if it's like a one-to-one. The -one. only like is the one-to-many if you have one shore operation handling several vessels. That's where the uh, the economies of scale come in and, and making it viable. So- And how do you get there? Yeah, so we have now uh, planned three vessels, right? Under operation, which is already uh, more commercially viable than operating a normal traditional demand operation. Uh, and of course we are in, we are discussing with several customers that uh, could have a larger volume so we will get there as Masterly will get there uh, in a few years. But of course, we have not made any money up until now for our owners, but they have not expected it either uh, because we are in an, this investment phase where we are building up uh, infrastructure and uh, relationships with customers. And, um, and it, will, it will take time and it normally takes longer than you think, right? But then you, it could also have this kind of catch-up effect that once it is proven, approved, and you could see it with your own eyes that it is working uh, and it is equally safe or safer than uh, today's solution, then we believe there will be a big step up in interest and, and volume and you, you will move to standardization, uh, volume, and, and more uh, commercially sustainable solutions. Yeah, makes sense. Um, since we are a Singapore-based podcast and Norway and Singapore are ocean partners with a close relationship. Um, and we also uh, recently had you on a special insights panel sharing Norwegian experiences within decarbonization. Uh, I wonder where, what is your relationship to Singapore? Um, can you fill us in on how Singapore and Norway both are in the forefront when it comes to autonomous shipping? Sure. So uh, on a personal note, I love Singapore and I love the chili crab there and I miss uh, visiting Singapore. Um, of course, haven't been able to travel uh, for a year. 
but both Wilhelmsen, where I um, used to work, and, and uh, Kongsberg, of course, are very present in uh, in Singapore. Uh, Kongsberg also delivers the systems to the, the VTS in Singapore, and they have these living labs uh, there, Innovation Center. What so, is VTS? Uh, vessel Traffic Services. So okay. it's the it's the port um, system, basically, uh, coastal administration and port administration looking into the traffic, safe traffic uh, management. So I think we are definitely could do a lot together with Singapore. And uh, there's also a big research cooperation between Norway and Singapore. Um, I'm also in the um, portfolio board of uh, <laughs> the ocean portfolio for Norwegian Research Council. So, and we are discussing a lot of projects together with Singapore. So that's that's my personal interest, of course, in Singapore. And I think also in terms of being such a huge port with with those and what, what the kind of weather um, and um, yeah and infrastructure you have in Singapore compared to Norway, which is very different, it could definitely make sense to test out uh, different solutions in two very different environments. So uh, looking at cooperation with Singapore is definitely interesting. And I know Singapore, the port of Singapore has been testing autonomy on their own vessels, uh, service vessels and tugs uh, and so on inside the port area. It should be a yeah. good um, good basis to work uh, together. Yeah, good to hear. Um, so another question that has come up uh, during uh, a little research into the topic is that uh, I see that many has labeled autonomous shipping as a so sort of a short sea phenomenon at best and uh, slammed the chances for autonomy to become a viable alternative for deep sea shipping. What is your view on this? Well, for, for short sea shipping, it's, it's where we start. And it's uh, very much linked to the decarbonization of the short shipping fleet. Uh, there's a huge uh, electrification going on on both ferries, of course, but also cargo vessels now. And if you have a fully electric vessel, it's could be easier to have uh, the chief engineer working remotely, for example, from shore, because there's actually not a lot of uh, lube, lube oil uh, going into the uh, the battery room. There's not a lot of maintenance that's required during the the voyage in terms of fully battery propelled vessels. So that is, you know, when you are building new vessels to be zero emission for short sea, it's also very limited additional cost to make them, you know, autonomy ready, if you might say that, so that you can upgrade later to um to a reduced manning um situation if you would like to if you would like to have that reduced cost but um for deep sea of course there is a lot of automation already being deployed and you you could automate further some of the tasks the repetitive tasks or the tasks that are really uh dangerous or boring for people to uh, to do for example mooring is uh, it, that's also autonomy. If you can have, a, can, a, can have a autonomous mooring systems, that will remove people from a potentially dangerous situation that nobody really enjoys. And on some advanced vessels, you would have um, several crew members there only for the only for the mooring. So that is, you know, one area where you can look into it. Uh, the other area is, of course, anything related to added safety. So. Um, uh, collision avoidance alert systems uh, that would uh, wake you up uh, and make you focus on the right kind of danger. And maybe also having a second pair of eyes from shore 
looking uh, looking after you and uh, and also if you see a vessel that is totally out of course or is acting very strange uh, or you, or you see you know an not normal behavior uh, for that vessel you could maybe check what's going on because something could have happened on board that uh, that they could need assistance with so there is you know various degrees again of autonomy of having some uh, automated processes or tasks and having some assistance from shore that would just help the crew so I, for deep sea of course i don't believe in unmanned vessels uh, i don't think uh, many people do uh, because you are far off uh, you don't have the connectivity required at all times or it's very expensive and also of course the uh, the potential uh, maintenance you need to do on board and the potential uh, you know tasks that you could perform if you have a breakdown in the middle of the ocean that you need people for that but maybe they can be guided by a really experienced person from shore to help them uh, in a difficult situation so there is still ways of adding shoreside support and uh, an automation and autonomy to certain tasks and if you have um, a stretch of where nothing's happening is pitch dark and the uh, the navigator is falling asleep on the bridge perhaps you could have uh, the remote operation center take over your watch look out you could go to sleep and they wake you when you need to go back on the bridge so there, yeah. there are you know the ways of adopting this that will not threaten the uh, the jobs or the authority of the onboard crew but assist them so that's what we see yeah. for deep sea. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. Thanks, but implicit in what you said there, that the, you actually foresee that you could have totally unmanned ships short sea, right? Yeah. So that's the idea with with ASCO, for example. After a testing period of a couple of years, the these will be in unmanned trade. But again, it's a it's a crossing of less than one hour between two ports, and we will be testing repeatedly on that same voyage for two years and learning and learning from everything before we make we, before we're sure that these algorithms are good enough but okay. there's also and you but you need of course you need uh what is what you could call situational awareness or like sensors and cameras on board for for all of this to, to have this added safety so that is that is a place to start for manned vessels today to get uh better sensors and camera systems to that can look much further than the human eye, that could look, uh, could have night vision and could really detect dangers much sooner and alert the crew much better than what's done today. And, there, and I think, you know, in your car, you have anti-collision. My car, at least, it actually stops. But if I try to run my car into, um, into a mountain, it will, the brakes will be hit, will hit by itself. It's a Volvo, so <laughs> they're safe. But it's, yeah. <laughs> but it's, I think this will be mandatory in the future, to be honest. But there's going to be added safety and alert systems on the bridge that uh, that will be required. All right, good. And um, so a little back to uh, to uh, time perspective here. Um, is autonomous shipping right around the corner? You would say, or um, of course it's there already, as you explain. But um, but in a significant scale, as you have mentioned, also is it right around the corner, or is it sort of a far 
vision for the future. And partly the context of this question is, of course, the, the short time frame for decarbonization to reach uh, necessary goals set for 2030 and, and 2050. So, so automation sort of seen in that context. Yeah. If we stick to uh, what we have been talking about in terms of short sea and small vessels in coastal areas, then uh, autonomy is a way of affording the decarbonization. So it is actually a way of introducing batteries, for example, on more vessels quicker than you would other do because you can then have a lower operating cost and you can have a more energy efficient vessel. Uh, you could adopt ultra slow speed so you could potentially have a much smaller battery and still do your job. And uh, so this is actually going very much key, well, hand in hand with uh, the decarbonization of the short sea fleet. I have to uh, repeat that because if we're talking deep sea, we are talking a combination of uh, traditional fuels uh, with new fuels uh, like ammonia and hydrogen and so on. It's quite complex. Uh, so I, it's, I will not uh, foresee a lot of unmanned vessels on the uh, with uh, with these new fuels but of course again automation will help you in using the new fuels and knowing exactly when it makes sense to to bunker one or the other or use one or the other in terms of cost legislation uh safety everything so there's of course ways of uh helping with that but it's you know the million dollar question is as you say when is it really becoming kind of a big market or mainstream and it's it's impossible uh, to answer that but I think it's it's very linked to the decarbonization and we all look at like 2030 and we set goals all shipping companies have set a goal for 2030 but it's not far away right so we need to do we need drastically different solutions we can't just co go on with ordering lng uh, fueled vessels and think that we we will be there by 2030 right yeah. so this is yeah I, I, that is a challenge i think to the industry too we have to dare to look a little bit um, outside uh, our comfort zone and and try some new technology as well and be willing to uh, to take a leap uh, in some areas otherwise this will this decarbonization will not happen yeah, I think you touched upon a, a definition I read about innovation also that you can't really solve yesterday's problem with yesterday's uh, solutions or something like that. So um, absolutely. I, I think we're going to round up this conversation uh, now and we are going to do that with sort of returning to the our initial uh, questions uh, about um, 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 whether autonomous shipping is actually going to save uh, the planet. So, um, so is it? <laughs> it has its role in the decarbonization for sure. So both in uh, for short sea to, uh, to afford the zero emission technology, for deep sea to be more energy efficient, uh, and of course for, uh, for safety of uh, the, the crew that is on board. That can be enhanced. So you might say you actually could save um, some some of the uh, you could reduce some of the emissions and you could maybe save some uh, lives. That's true, but it's not, yeah. of course, it's not the solution in itself. It's important. To, it's just one of many means to get to the solution. So it's it's not a goal in itself. Autonomy, um, but why shouldn't we look at the options that technology are giving us? 
And it's a stupid uh, comparison, but there was once a guy that pressed the button in the elevator for you, right? There was the elevator guy. He's still probably in some uh, apartments in New York or somewhere, but normally there is no guy in the elevator anymore and you're able to press that button yourself. And it's, it's it was shocking probably at the time where, where that was automated. And it's not, it's not a comparison to vessels, but still there's, there's so many um, innovations already behind us that, uh, yeah, then that job was, was gone. But then there were, were jobs in fixing elevators instead because, and because elevators suddenly were everywhere instead of very rarely used. So this is, you know, it's, it's happening all over that in, technology are changing uh, things and making us uh, achieve totally different ways of, uh, of doing what we do. And uh, automation is just, or autonomy is just one of those. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's a very good point. And, and thank you for a very interesting uh, conversation about uh, your uh, field of expertise, autonomous shipping and the business models around it, um, not at least. And, uh, and also to sort of shedding some light on, on um, uh, innovation and uh, the possibilities in uh, opportunities within uh, innovation. Uh, so thank you for sharing. Um, I want to ask you a little, since we are now in, um, in we are in May 2021, and uh, I think uh, a lot is happening uh, for you uh, now. I know that you have a role in uh, in um, the North Shipping uh, sort of intermediate uh, thing, Ocean Now coming up. Can you um, maybe say a little about that? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm also, of course, uh, terrified about <laughs> getting such a role. But, uh, you know, new shipping will be in January next year. So it's a winter edition and uh, they wanted to, uh, to have a in-between, as you say, Ocean Now. So on the 1st of June, they will um, have something called the Today Show by, uh, by new shipping in the morning there. And we will be uh, sending um, broadcasting from a roof terrace in Oslo uh, belonging to Skuld. And I will be the host, and I will have lots of interesting guests that are still secret. Some of some of those who they are uh, to discuss really key issues with a little bit of personal touch. And there's going to be a mix of uh, yeah information and uh, entertainment, you might say. So there's going to be really a relaxed atmosphere, maybe different than a lot of the um, the conferences that you go to these days. It is, of course, a, hi a hybrid event, so it will be streamed uh, to everybody, but there's going to be people meeting physically there as well. So I hope that we can really entertain and engage uh, the audience and that we have some nice surprises for you as well. So sign up now at the newshipping.com. Uh, it's for free, of course, and uh, I hope it will be you know, a warm-up for the real new shipping where we probably can all meet again and have a drink and and talk close to each other without being worried about uh, the COVID. Yeah, thanks again. Very much good luck with that. I can actually also reveal that uh, Enbos is uh, has recently joined as an uh, event partner for Ocean Now also. So we are also going to have an event in conjunction with that uh, Today Show. So whether it will be something before the Today Show or right after it, we will see. But uh, then... Um, see you in some shape or form there so thanks again pia and best of luck thank you Alice. see you thank you for listening to enbus talks 
a podcast from the Norwegian Business Association in Singapore, with your host, Anders Hegre. To find out more, go to envas.org.sg and join us for our next podcast shortly.